Alright, welcome back everybody to Squad Tactica Episode 3. It is an exciting time because, guess what? Kill Team is finally live, it's available to the public, and I've got my rules, I've got a new Kill Team, like there's, there's just so many things to talk about. But before we get into the show, I want to thank every single person who has been, you know, following me, painting my new uh, models, the, you know, the Plague Marines, and, you know, for those of you who don't know or haven't followed us on Facebook, please check us out at Squad Tactica Podcast. Our Facebook group has basically all the posts that come as you know immediately as humanly possible so anytime i'm going to events anytime i'm going to be painting models learning new things finding new things it's all pretty much going to be there that's the fastest way to get in contact with myself or just you know find out what's going on with squad tactica so thank you so much to every single person who's joined us on there we're, we're growing so quickly and this is just it's a blast. It's an honor to to meet and talk to every single one of you, and I've had nothing but just pure excitement and bliss doing this. So we are just gunning it, and there's so much to talk about. So just right off the bat, Kill Team is live, and you know if you're listening to this, you probably have it, or your stuff is going to be coming in really soon. And there's a lot to talk about. People have been messaging me and asking, you know, we talk about this, we talk about that. And I mean, there's there's just so much. So before I do that, I just want to give a quick plug for the show. If you're enjoying the show, please do me a couple of things. Subscribe. We're on iTunes. We're on Google Play. You can find us on Podbean. Like, I'm making sure the podcast is as available as humanly possible. But if you're enjoying the show, please leave a review on iTunes or Facebook just so, you know, this can spread out to more people. There's thousands of players who are Warhammer fans who are getting into Kill Team and it's still a very small podcast. It's a small crew. It's just myself. My name is Sugi. This is Squat Tactica. And I'd love for this to grow and for more people to, you know, know about the show. That doesn't mean they have to listen to it, but it would be nice if more people knew about it because I see a lot of people asking questions. I see a lot of people asking about, is there a podcast? Is there content? Where can I listen for something? And here we are. We're the first. You're a part of the first group to ever do a Kill Team show, and it's just going to be a lot of fun to grow this family. So please, you know, if you're enjoying it, share it, spread the word, let people know. I mean, if you want to come on the show, let me know. I'd love to have more people come every once in a while as a guest and talk about, you know, how their Kill Team is going, what's going on. And speaking about that, I actually, like I've been saying, I just moved to the Dallas-Fort Worth area, and there is going to be a Citadel uh, store. It's a Citadel shop and cafe hobby shop. It's opening at the end of the month here in August, and I plan on going to do some coverage. I'm talking to the store manager to see if I can do it, like, officially with Citadel. If not, I'm just going to go as myself and take some pictures and, you know, have some fun, play some matches of Kill Team. But there's going to be a, a big store event, and I know people from around the world are actually coming. So if you're listening to this show, um, I'd love to meet you. I will be there, you know, shake your hand, just talk about Kill Team, and have a good time. So let me know if you're going to be there, and it'll be a lot of fun to meet up with some of the listeners. So anyways, getting into Kill Team, boy, howdy, is there a lot of stuff. So the the biggest thing I'm going to talk about just right off the bat, the first topic of today is the whole, the battle round. We're going to talk about the six phases. I'm not going to go into the entirety of every single phase and how everything works, but I am going to talk a little bit about each individual phase, what's interesting and how it pertains to Kill Team that's, you know, a little bit different from the big army versus army, you know, 5th, 6th, 7th, 8th edition 40k that we all know and love. So right off the bat, we have phase one, which is the initiative phase. Players roll off to determine who will act first in each phase. This is pretty simple, 
uh, both players will just roll two dice, and the person who has the highest d6 wins, and they get to uh, you know go first. Now, there's there's not really much to talk about in terms of the initiative phase. Just one big thing I think is interesting. It is a forced roll. Like, if you win the roll, you must go first. It's not like card games where whoever rolls gets to pick who goes first and who goes second. I don't foresee many points in kill team where you would want to go second, but it is something to note that if you win the roll, you have to go first. So let's talk about phase two, which is the movement phase. And this is pretty similar stuff to anything you've ever seen before, especially if you've played, you know, any edition of Warhammer. You move your guys, your opponent moves their guys, so on and so forth. This is interesting because this is the only phase in which players do not alternate between you move a guy, I move a guy, you move a model, I move a model. It's just a flat, I move all of my models, then you move all of your models. Um, you know, standard stuff, moving over train, flying, nothing really, really interesting in terms of what pulls out of this phase that's unique to Kill Team. The cool thing you do have, you have an option to fall back if you're charged. Um, well, that's actually a little bit later, but you do have the opportunity to fall back if you're engaged. Um, there's also a readying step where you can put a token on your character and that basically allows them to attack, be one of the first models to attack in the shooting phase. We'll get to that in a moment. Um, you do charge in the movement phase, so you get your opportunity to either move your standard movement, you can do something called advancing, which is basically run, you, you take your movement in inches, you roll a d6 and you add that, and you can advance. Um, you are allowed to shoot hip fire with an assault weapon. Um, you can't shoot with anything else. And then you have the readying, which you just, like I said, you put a token on your model. And then when you move into the shooting phase, you alternate between models that are ready. And then you alternate between models that are not ready for who shoots. Um, but the other thing is you do charge in this. So what you can do in the movement phase is allocate a character that you want to charge and you have your model. So your model declares I'm going to charge target A, I'm going to charge target B, you know, whatever you want. However, every model you charge does get an overwatch shot, which means on a six, they do get to shoot your guy. Now, that is a one in six chance of your character getting hit, but still, that's something to take into account. You don't want to say I'm going to charge, you know, six models because then they get six shots. You want to be very careful with your charge. And if you've never played any 40k game, basically the way you charge is you have your model, they have their model, you declare my model wants to charge that model, and you roll two d6s. If you roll equal to or higher than the distance you need to get into, you know, one inch contact of the base, you're fine. So if you need nine inches and you roll nine, 10, 11, or 12, you can charge that model because you have successfully, you know, roll the length you need. If you roll under that, so say you need, you know, nine inches and you only roll eight or less, you fail the charge, but you are still allowed to move that many inches. So it's not a total wash. Like in previous editions, if you failed your charge, you just stood there and nothing happened. So at least in Kill Team, you do get to move towards the model you wanted to charge, even if you don't actually get to charge them. Uh, one other interesting thing inside the movement phase is when you charge, so there's three steps. You choose target, there is a reaction, and your opponent can either choose to overwatch, which we talked about, or they can choose to retreat. And it's an interesting mechanic that states, a target model cannot retreat if it has already made a move of any kind or attempted to charge in this phase. A model can retreat if it has already fired overwatch in this phase. 
When a model retreats, it can be moved up to 3 inches by the controlling player. This move must end with the model further away from the charging model and more than 1 inch away from any enemy model. Um, that's an interesting opportunity where you basically, your opponent goes, okay, I'm going to charge your leader or your specialist. And you can either choose to shoot or you can choose to run away in the hopes of not getting you know punched in the face. So this is really nice if you're facing off against something with a very powerful melee attack or just a ton of melee attacks. And I, I don't recall having seen this like, now I've said this before, I haven't played hardly any 7th edition and I played 08th edition. So this could be a rule in one of those, but for me as a brand new player to Kill Team and not having played any GW games in years, uh, this seems to be a very neat ability, although you're probably not going to use it very frequently. Um, like the, the biggest place I could see it possibly being used is if you're sitting on an objective and you've got a very important character and your opponent threatens to charge and say they're at like nine inches or even eight, like they're, they're at a, they're a significant distance. I would say like seven inches is probably a fair number. So say, say they're at seven inches away. They have to roll 2d6. If you choose to retreat, they have to roll 10 inches to get to you in the, as opposed to seven inches, which is a much, much, much further distance. And I know three inches doesn't sound like a lot, but you know, if, if you're only one inch away, you only need one inch on two dice. That's guaranteed. So even if you retreat back, that's four inches on 2d6. Not a big deal. But if you're like six or seven inches away, they go from six inches to nine inches or seven inches to ten inches. That's that's a significant distance. So there are probably times you're going to want to use this. But more often than not, you, you probably don't want to do that. You want to overwatch. But I think that's a really cool idea. Um, something that's interesting. I actually saw on Facebook they were, they were asking a question since the rules don't actually specify, and this might actually change in an FAQ, you are allowed to charge models that are in line of sight and you know within a 12-inch radius. If you just read the rules as written in the book for charging, it just says, step one, choose targets. Choose one or more enemy models within 12 inches of the charging model as the targets of the charge. So on, on Facebook, I can't remember what group or name, but there was a question, if I have an enemy model 3 inches in front of me, and enemy model 10 inches behind me, am I allowed to make a charge against both of them? And based on the rules as written and what the people said, yes, you absolutely are. You get to declare you know, both of them as a target. Now, they both have the opportunity to overwatch you, and you know, or one can retreat, whatever. Like They can do one of the two options. They can overwatch, they can retreat, but what was really interesting is after you roll the d6, like say you roll 2d6 and you get like a 7, well you can't charge the model 10 inches away from you, but you absolutely can charge the model 3 inches away from you. So that's probably the most interesting thing we've seen so far in the movement phase is you are, rules is written, you can charge as many models as you want as long as they're within 12 inches of you. So if the entire army is within, within 12 inches, you can say, charging everybody i'm charging all the models you've got and you know if they're at different distances you know one's like two inches one's at six inches one's at eight inches one's at ten inches you can just say i'm you know i'm charging these four models you roll your dice and then you go okay well i only rolled four inches so i can't charge anything past that and then you get to pick well i'll charge you know do i want to charge the guy two inches away or the guy four inches away like 
you actually get to make some decisions, which is something new for me. I've never seen Games Workshop allow you to not only charge multiple targets, but then you get to roll the dice and it kind of mitigates the the failure. So when I played in 6th edition, like I was saying previously, you basically you, you charged one model or one unit with your unit. So I have, you know, Space Wolves, you've got Gene Stealers. And I would say my unit is charging that unit over there and I'd roll D6s and either I did it or I didn't do it. I don't ever recall the opportunity to say I'm going to charge, you know, these four different units at different distances, roll the 2d6, and okay, well, I, I can only charge two of the four, but I still get to do something. So I think that's very interesting. I think it's a neat idea, and we might see that change, but for right now, upon release, rules is written, you, you can just charge whatever you want within 12 inches of your model. You know, as long as you can actually get to them. All right, moving on to phase three. This is the psychic phase. Nothing crazy. You you know, number one, choose your power. Two, take a psychic test. Three, deny the witch. Four, resolve psychic power. Um, pretty standard stuff. Everyone has a cybolt, which I'll read that out. Cybolt has a warp charge of five if manifested. Uh, closest enemy model of 18 inches and visible. You take a mortal wound, blah, blah, blah. So basically everyone has a free magic missile i guess you could call it so just standard stuff you, you if you have powers you can pick one you roll your dice see if it you know happens or not or you know if you hit perils of the warp your guy just suffers horrible psychic backlash um deny the witch resolve power easy cheesy so moving on which at this point i think there's like there's gray knights that have psychic powers there's thousand suns that have psychic powers um, I'm sure Chaos Space Marines have psychic powers. There's there's not a lot of armies that are going to be really utilizing the psychic power stuff, like compared to like Eighth Edition, where you know you might want to bring a librarian and some sort of a psychic power, psychic character, psychic something. Um, there's just like armies that don't have anything that have anything to do with psychers. Like I'm building a Plague Marines army. I couldn't find a single thing that had psychic abilities, which is fine. I just thought it was interesting, like. Just because there's a psychic phase doesn't mean you're going to have access to use anything within that phase. So, it is what it is. Alright, so moving into the shooting phase. This is phase number four. This is where things get interesting. So, we finally get into the alternating activations, as some people have been calling it, where it's a you-go-I-go system. And when you go into the shooting phase, you have the ready-fire which is the first part, and that basically means if you were in the movement phase and you readied a character, as soon as you move into the shooting phase, the ready characters shoot first. So what that means is tactically, you can set aside specific characters that will get to fire their weapons before anyone else. And what that looks like strategically is, for example, say you know, you're the first player and you rush up all of your guys down the field and you want to get into a really good position and you do get into the good position you get some cover you've got you know great line of sight to all of your enemies and you're good to go your opponent then when they go to their move phase could also move their models and prepare themselves or they can just ready all of their models and then what happens is when you get to the shooting phase they're going to be able to shoot two three four five shots before you ever get a chance so it's interesting how the movement phase sets up the shooting phase so when you do the ready fire sequence 
all the models that are um, readied get to fire first. And you do go back and forth. So the turn player, whoever went first, they get to pick one of their models and they get to shoot first. So you roll your you know weapon skill, well, you roll your ballistic skill, roll to hit, they do a save, blah, blah, blah. Then you know your opponent gets to pick a readied model. Then you get to pick a readied model. And you alternate back and forth until there are no more readied models. Then you go to the regular, which is called fire at will. You go to the regular shooting step where everyone gets to shoot back and forth. So once again, you start with the player that has the initiative, the turn player, whatever you want to call it. Basically, that person picks a model, they shoot. Then your opponent gets to pick a model, they shoot. You go back and forth and back and forth and back and forth, so on and so forth. Um, if you've ever played a Games Workshop game, it is fairly standard. You know, you have to have range, you have to have visibility, life sight, weapon types, blah, 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 blah. Um, nothing too crazy. There are some things that I think are interesting. So, uh, Obscured. This is my favorite part of the shooting phase. I'm just going to read it verbatim. So, quote, other models, even friendly models, and terrain may hide a target from view. If the target of an attack is even partially obscured from the best point of view of the firing model, uh, that is, the point of view from a part of the firing model that gives the clearest line of sight, then it is said to be obscured. So what that means, you know, end quote. And what that means in a nutshell is we have what I remember for obscured models from like 5th edition where you could interweave squads of orcs and they would each get a... Um, I think it was a five-up cover save. It was base. It was better than the uh, the t-shirt save. I remember that. Um, I think it was a five-up. It, it had to be because there's no reason to do it if it wasn't better than a six-up. Anyways, so what obscured means is your anything that obscures a model gives it a negative one to hit. Now there are some things to be said. So if you have like wings or you know um, pointy helmets, like like things that aren't a part of physically a part of your body. Like if you've got like um like a gun on the back on your on the back of your model and your opponent can see like the top of the gun that does not count as actually seeing the model like it has to be like the head the torso the arms the legs the the physical body of the model so i think that's really cool that if any part of it is obscured that your opponent gets a negative one to hit so you can have your friendly models run interference and you can basically bubble wrap a character that has a flamer or a power fist or some kind of special melee weapon um like i've got my flail for the uh, the plague marines and I i'm gonna have to bubble wrap that character but as long as they have any part of them obscured then they get like if, if you shoot at me you get a negative one to hit so if your ballistic skill is a three up now it's a four up so I think that's that's really cool. I think it's very neat that you can use cover, you can use mobile cover, you can use friends and enemies to help protect your models from just being lit up. Okay, so let's talk about the hit-to-roll modifiers. There's a couple things that I think are cool in terms of the shooting phase. So if you have uh, long range, if you're basically further away than half the distance of your weapons, um, firing range, you get a negative one to hit. If you're obscure, you get a negative one to hit. Flesh wounds, blah, blah, blah. There's only four things that modify the the roll to hit, and they're all negatives, but I think it's interesting that Kill Team is focused on a very tight environment. What What's very telling about that 
is the fact that if you're, you know, if you have a long range weapon that's like 24 inches, they don't want you to be shooting at 24 inches. They don't want you to be hanging out in the backfield just making pew pew noises going pew 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 pew. pew. Like Games Workshop wants you to be moving forward. They want you to be engaging. They want you to be in your opponent's face. And so there's actually a penalty if you're shooting, you know, further than half the distance of your gun. I think that's neat. That is a design choice I think is great because they give you the opportunity to use big, powerful weapons like missile launchers, but you can't use them in the way they were designed. Like, if you're playing in 8th edition, you want to be far in the backfield, you want to be shooting with that maximum distance. I'm pretty sure missile launchers are, I think, 48 inches, maybe 36. But the whole point of a missile launcher is you want to set up, you want to sit and cover, and you just want to keep shooting every round, just pot shots, missile launcher, missile launcher, missile launcher. Well, you can't do that nearly as efficiently in in Kill Team because if you're going to be shooting from that far away, you're probably also going to be shooting at an obscure target. And guess what? Space Marines have like the best shooting at a 3-up, but if you add plus 2 to that, you go from a 3-up to a 4-up to a 5-up. So now you're shooting and then you're realistically hitting only 33% of the time. And you're paying a lot of points for that missile launcher. So you're going to have to move into range in order to get maximum value. So you're not shooting at five up and you're paying, I think a missile launcher is like four points per model, might be three or four, but that's really expensive when you look at the breakdown of how the, the points work for the characters. So I think it's really neat mechanically and thematically that you can bring these big, heavy, impactful weapons but you're not going to be using them as efficiently as you would if you were in like a huge, you know, battle scene, army versus army. Otherwise, the shooting phase is pretty much straightforward, roll to hit, roll to wound, roll saves, blah blah blah. Another interesting thing in the shooting phase is determining how you gain flush wounds. So, in a nutshell without going into, you know, the specifics of all the rules, basically once your wound number goes from, you know, whatever you have to zero, you then determine if your character is, like, taken out of the game or if they just sustain a flesh wound and they get to keep playing. So there's a there's an injury roll that you have to do. There's a little chart here that tells you there's some plus and negative sides. Basically, you roll a d6. If you roll a three or less, you'll just take a flesh wound. If you roll a four or higher, your model is out of action. You know, they, they essentially faint in, like, Pokemon terms. And then if you're playing in a narrative campaign, you would determine if that model is like dead, dead, or, you know, they get healed in, you know, combat by a medic or something. So um, it's very interesting. This is one of the newer mechanics because the kill team matches are built for, I wouldn't say realism in terms of 40k, like universe lore, but they 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 did something which I think is very wise. They don't want alpha strikes to just be super dominant, where if I go first and I just ready all of my guys and I shoot you and wound all of your dudes, you're dead. You lose, you know, it's it's over. They want you to have the opportunity to keep your guys alive longer than just, oh, I took a wound, I'm dead, because most, most model profiles only have one wound, and it would be really lame if, like, turn one you lose like 30-40% of your army just because you only had four wounds on the table and guess what? You lost two guys. Oh, great. 
So the flesh wounds are neat because they present you the opportunity to stay on the board longer. However, thematically, with the flesh wound, your guy is weaker because you know they're they're bleeding, they're suffering, something has been shot, and they're less you know functional. So whenever you have a flesh wound, basically you have a negative one to hit, and that's kind of punishing. And the flesh wounds do stack, so you know if you're really lucky. And, you know, you get shot and you take the first flesh wound, okay, you're, you're negative one to hit. If you take a second flesh wound, like, you have to get really lucky. Like, I'm not going to lie. Three or less is pretty brutal because every flesh wound you have adds a plus one to your die roll. So, basically, after the first flesh wound, you have to roll a two or less. Um, I mean, like, if you're up, there's there's a chart. It's real simple. There's only three things. If you're in cover, if you have flesh wounds, um, and so on and so forth. So, anyways, very, very straightforward. But... As you progress, if you have multiple flesh wounds, it just gets harder and harder and harder to stay in the battle. But it is cool that you have the opportunity to stay in the battle. Um, when you get to nerve tests, flesh wounds are important because you have to, you know, check to see if your guy survives their psychology or their their psychosis of, you know, they're wounded and now they're falling apart mentally. So, very interesting. Um, nothing too crazy in terms of, like revolutionary but like as a as a designer as a player i think the flesh wound mechanic is very good because it gives players the opportunity to stick around and you don't feel like i set up i bought these models i painted these models i set up these models we went to round one my opponent readied three characters and killed three of my characters because i don't have an opportunity to see if they stay around like being able to take a wound and then say, okay, it's a flesh wound, they're fine, they stay, and then, like, they get to attack back and continue playing the game. I think that's great. So, uh, moving on to the fight phase. So, this is pretty much identical in concept, in concept to the shooting phase. There's the Hammer of Wrath, which basically means um, models that charged in this round fight before all other models. So... Um, in a nutshell, if I charged with two of my models and you charged with none of your models, my models will get to go first, and then you get to attack back with your regular models. If you charge with two models, I charge with two models, then we're going to alternate in choosing, okay, my this model number one is going to resolve its attack, then your charging model, whichever one you want, gets to resolve their attack, then I get to pick my second one, you get to pick your second one. And then we go back and forth with the non-charging models. So, uh, Hammer of Wrath is the first, you know, charging models. Fight for Your Lives is the second part where regular models get to uh, do their thing. Uh, the fight sequence is pretty straightforward. Number one, you pile in up to three inches. Two, you choose your targets. Three, you choose your melee weapon. Four, resolve your close combat attacks. Five, consolidate up to three inches. Um... Pretty straightforward stuff. If you've ever played a Games Workshop game, you've got your number of attacks, your melee weapons, strength, toughness, blah, blah, blah. Uh, I'm not going to go into that because you can read it in the rulebook and it just eats up a lot of time. What's new, um, I guess, is alternating, realistically. Um, there's a hit to roll modifier similar to the shooting phase. There's um, negative one, so if there's intervening terrain, flesh wounds, and the kill team is broken, and we're about to get right into that. So, both the shooting phase and the, the fighting phase have, I guess you could say, modifiers? Basically, just a little chart that says, you know, bonuses for 
you or negatives for you depending on the situation so if your opponent's got wounds flesh wounds broken army all that stuff there's you can look in the rule book pretty simple morale phase this is the last and final phase in the entire round it is pretty simple check to see if your kill team is broken remove shaken tokens take nerve tests um, basically, if you check to see if your team is broken, it's straightforward. Quote, if all models in a kill team currently have flesh wounds, are shaken, or out of action, it's broken. Otherwise, if more than half of the models in your kill team currently have flesh wounds, are shaken, or out of action, it may be broken. Roll 2d6. If the total is greater than the highest leadership characteristics of any models in the kill team, then it's broken. Um, if your characters are broken, there's negative modifiers and things, pretty straightforward. Uh, remove shaken tokens, you pull off shaken tokens, and I'm going to tell you how you get shaken tokens. Take nerve tests. This is my favorite part of the morale phase because uh, kill team being broken is basically the same thing as like panic or you know running away fear with leadership. It, it's commonplace but the nerve test is interesting because it targets each individual model so the rules say quote uh, you must take a nerve test for each of your models that has a flesh wound and for your other models if your kill team is broken so realistically your kill team won't be broken until very late in the game at that point it's probably noticeably bad for you like unless both kill teams are like broken at the same time. Uh, what's interesting about nerve tests is it's kind of a punishment for having flesh wounds. So like I was saying earlier in the shooting phase, it's cool that Games Workshop allows your characters to stay around longer. It's also neat that there is a punishment theoretically for them staying around longer. And what I mean by that is it's kind of a, a balance of you don't want your characters to get wiped off the table super quick but you also want shooting to be beneficial and rewarding to the player. You don't want to just shoot a bunch of guns and nothing happens because without the nerve test, I feel like that could be what would be a big complaint for kill team is, well, I have this shooty army. I shot my opponent. I took all their wounds away, but they rolled for flesh wounds. They got their flesh wounds and then they came right back at me and murdered me and I, I didn't have any opportunity to do anything about it. So with a nerf test, you basically roll a d6. There's some modifiers. There's a little chart. Um, you have to roll underneath your leadership, as always. If you do, you're fine. If you don't, bad stuff happens, and you're shaken. And basically what happens when you're shaken is the model cannot do anything until it is no longer shaken. That's it. Pretty simple. Um, I, I really think that is a really brilliant design. I know it might seem kind of weird that I'm praising a negative effect within the game but the fact of the matter is it creates this tension and this excitement because when you're playing a game you need it to be tense otherwise it's very boring i'm sure if you've listened to this you've probably played a game or better yet you've probably watched a movie where there were no stakes um, my my favorite example of this is the new Solo movie. I thought it was decent. If you haven't seen this, it's probably not going to be nearly as clear, but we've all seen a movie or played a game or done something where there were really no stakes in it because you knew the outcome. For example, in the Solo movie, guess what? Han Solo is in the movie, but we also know that Han Solo is in episodes 4 and 5 and 6 and so on and so forth. So in the Solo prequel movie... 
when they try and introduce tension and fear by saying, oh no, hey, we we only have Han Solo and he has to go complete this mission. And if he doesn't, everyone will die, including Han Solo. You as the audience member know that will not happen. Han Solo will not die because he is in another movie that is much further down his chronological timeline in the you know film franchise. So trying to create stakes, trying to create fear, tension with Han Solo is stupid because nothing will happen. You don't want that to happen in your games, especially a war game. You don't want your characters to be unkillable, unmameable, unstoppable, and it just becomes really boring. Or they're just paperweights and they, they die at anything looking at them. There needs to be some strategic tension, some narrative tension for the players, for the models, for the characters in the game and the people playing them outside of the game or within the game structure, I guess, is a better way of saying it. So what's interesting to me personally is that the nerve test and the flesh wounds work very well together because they create an environment where you get shot at. And that's going to happen. That's how this game works. But while you're being shot at, you might not die, but you might get wounded. You can still participate in the game and you have a negative modifier. But then when you get to the morale phase, the consequences of what just happened might take a toll on you. So, you know, your guy might get shot and they might take a a wound and then they take a flesh wound and then they return fire and you get lucky and say you kill their guy like they didn't survive and you knocked out a model but then you go into the morale phase and your guy fails the nerve test because you know their their psychology was broken and they're just reeling from the things that just happened you know they were shot and then they shot back i think mechanically that's neat i think thematically that's neat and It also helps build in some of the um, specialist abilities and tactics that allow you to circumvent the penalties for nerve tests. Basically, it's a new mechanic that allows Games Workshop to play around with things that characters can do. Like having a nerve test can be supplemented with like your medic characters, you have your, your specialists like veteran i think it's the veteran i'd have to look but there's there's specialists that ignore the penalties from flesh wounds there's specialists that can help bolster your nerve test so you don't fail it as often there's all kinds of things that happen and with the tension of mortal wounds and flesh wounds and nerve tests comes a new strategy for players and i i know some people on facebook are complaining about you know tactics and all the things they think it's too complicated and that's fine that's that's a fair opinion but i think that having all of these options, all of these ways to play the game is fun and it adds that narrative tension so that when your model doesn't die and your model survives the fight and you know if you're marking down their kills you can say you know Jim Bob he killed two models, he had two flesh wounds, he didn't fail a single nerve test. You can like build the narrative of that character if if that's what you're doing. You can tell the story of, you know, at the Battle of, you know, Crate, referencing Star Wars, you know, this model stood his ground for the Emperor and saved his fellow um, battle brothers. Like, that's that's super cool to have that built into the game. Like, if you're playing competitively and you're not building a narrative, it's also fun to see new ways to have strategies 
that are valuable where you can you know force players to take nerf tests and hope that they get shaken and then you can just light them up because a shaken model doesn't do anything so many things you can do it it's more than just a narrative experience but like i'm coming in at it from a narrative experience but also from a competitive experience like forcing models like big models to take nerf tests in the hope that they fail that can be very punishing especially if you can essentially lock out a character for a turn that's important it's really good for you and really bad for your opponent. All right, and then we're going to move on to our next topic of discussion, and that is budget-friendly armies. Now, this was a lot of fun for me. So I'm, I'm going to tell a story here because that's what I do. I'm a storyteller. I like telling narrative stories, and this is part of my narrative for playing Kill Team. It won't be too long, I promise. But I still haven't unpacked all of my stuff. In fact, um, I just found a new apartment with my wife. We should be moving in in the next week or so, which means I can unpack all my space wolves and orcs and things, but I currently don't have any. I, I mean, I could go to my storage locker and pull everything out, but I didn't really want to because I had seen a lot of questions on Facebook in a significant amount of forums that were asking players, what is a very budget-friendly way to play Kill Team? And that led me to this, that led me to that, but before I get into that story, I'm going to rabbit trail for a second here, and I would like to tell everyone, if you're looking for a great Facebook page, this is a wonderful place I think that you should definitely check out, Warhammer 40k Kill Team, period. I know that sounds weird, there's, there's like a bunch of 40k Kill Team Facebook groups out there, but the one I'm associated with, it's basically... Uh, like we, we're working together it's warhammer kill team period there will be a link in the show notes but that's where i'm going to be posting all of my stuff that's where you can find me outside of the facebook page uh, squad tactica podcast so anyways long story short i've i've been going through a bunch of facebook pages and um this was just a really nice group of admins they they wanted to work together to grow the game to grow the page and it's a really great community. Everyone's super nice and really friendly. So if you're listening and you're looking for a place to hook up and meet new people, I highly recommend this place. But I did see a lot of people posting here, um, more than the other places, uh, just asking a lot about budget-friendly kill teams because some people had friends who bought everything, they bought the rules, they bought all the stuff, so they're asking, you know, is there is there an army, is there a kill team I can buy with just a single box? Um, there are people asking, you know, is this army budget friendly? Is that army budget friendly? So on and so forth. So I, I had some extra birthday money and I thought, you know what? This, this is actually a really interesting challenge. This would be a prime opportunity as a person who's, you know, just buying into the game to see what, what that, that answer is. And I, I spent days going through the rule book. I talk to people online, talk to people on forums, and there, there's a lot of very budget-friendly single-box kill teams that I was able to find, and I want to say thank you to everyone who commented and helped out. So for the people listening who are going, you know, I, I don't have a lot of money, I don't have a lot of time, I don't, you know, X, Y, and Z, I don't want to build a lot, I don't want to paint a lot, you know, whatever. I have a bunch of answers for you, and that's what we're going to be talking about in this segment. So in terms of buying a single box of models, and that's all you need, there's a couple places, well, there's a couple uh, armies that you can buy that are viable to play. So the first one, I want to give shoutouts to people who commented on uh, the Squad Tactica Facebook page. So um, 
I want to say it's Jacques Van Helgen. I'm sure I'm saying it wrong, but he says, budget-friendly Harlequin, uh, one box of troop needed. You've got all the stuff you need. Also, Jesse Hill commented that Harlequins and Grey Knights are great for a box. I also discovered that a single box of Plague Marines is fine. So what does that mean for you, the listener? Well, that means you can buy, like, the Plague Marines are $50 for seven models. The Grey Knights, like, all of these things are less than, they're like $50 or less. And what you can do is, if you have the rules or you have a friend that has the rules, all you have to do is buy the single box and you have everything you need for a full-blown kill team. Now, I will say that may not mean a competitive kill team, but that does give you everything you need to play kill team. So if you're listening and you go, well, I want to play competitively, but I only want to buy one box. I don't know if that's possible. Maybe. Might be. But if you're listening and you go, I've only got 50 bucks, or I only want a few models, or, you know, I've got all these models, like, personally, I've got a buttload of orcs, I've got a buttload of space wolves, but I want to try new armies. What's a great army I can, you know, play that I don't have to buy two or three different boxes of models? Like I said, you can do Grey Knights, Harlequins, uh, Plague Marines. These are just really simple, single purchase, build and paint them, boom, you're done. And I think that's really great that Kill Team has the opportunity for a player to just buy a single box and you're done. And that's like the excitement I have, I can't explain nearly as well as what's in my head, just because there just really hasn't been that kind of opportunity to play a Games Workshop game so easily and so budget-friendly. Now, I will say I've never played all of the games. I haven't played, you know, Blood Bowl, Necromunda, all of those things. So, you know, if you're listening and I'm wrong and there has been a game where Games Workshop allowed you to buy a single box of models and play, please let me know in the comments below. But personally, in my experience, it's never been as easy as, okay, you can buy the rule book or borrow the rule book if you have a buddy and then buy a single box of whatever and you're good. So, like I said, I have taken the challenge I am going to be painting and playing Plague Marines now just because I love the color green on these guys. They look so neat. Um, You can see posts on the Facebook page of the painting. Uh, I've got my first guy. He's got a Plague Spewer. And right now he looks kind of like a sickly watermelon, which is kind of the look I'm going for. Um, But... There's, there's so many things to talk about. There's there's the modeling, there's the painting, there's the hobby, there's the gaming, and that's why I have a podcast. I, I could talk about this for, for days on end because there's so much to talk about, but what this segment specifically is about is the budget aspect of playing Kill Team because there's a lot of people who are looking at it. There, there's tons of hype. Um, stores are selling out like crazy and more people are looking at it going, what the heck is Kill Team? How do I get into it? And the beautiful thing is you can get into it as expensive or not expensive as you want. Um, the the other option now, the this is going to be super 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 duper budget friendly, and arguably horribly 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 competitive. So I'm going to warn you right now, what I'm about to say is probably not going to be something a competitive player is going to go. That's a great idea, but someone who wants to play the game can absolutely do. So if you've never heard of it, Games Workshop has these really neat $15 small, and I mean small, tiny box kits of the um, 
put them together models. I don't I don't know exactly what they're called, what branding Games Workshop uses, but the conceptual idea is you you buy the model, you don't need any glue to put the model together, you just need glue to put the model in the base. And all these models, like the arms, they're all pre-built, so there's there's zero customization. Every single model will come out looking exactly the same because you just stick two or three different pieces together. It's like the body and one arm and the legs, and then you just attach like the other arm and chest piece and then just locks together. So you don't need any glue. It's really cool. So basically what I'm talking about is that it's a $15 kit. They have one for Plague Marines. They have one for Reavers. Um, they have one for Pox Walkers, which is Death Guard, Plague Marines. Um, I know there's some other ones out there. I'm not exactly sure what they are. I just know about the Reavers. You get three Reavers or three Plague Marines. Anyways, the, the conceptual idea I had was just buying one of those and building it and playing that as my kill team. Three models. Um, it is not super efficient. It is not super competitive. But I will absolutely say, if you and a friend are listening to this show and your, your store, because I know some stores have a, a Kill Team rulebook available for people who want to learn, and if you want to support your local store, I would recommend do this. Buy one of the $15 boxes, um, put together the models. They don't take hardly any time or any glue. You don't even have to paint them because they're... Um, usually a colored plastic so it's very clear like the space marines are blue the plague marines are green um just take some glue throw them on models get that rule book from your buddy from your store or just buy the rule book yourself minimal investment if you and a friend have what would it be it'd be 35 dollars plus tax so you go halvesies on a rule book. It's 40 bucks retail you do 20 and 20 and then each of you buys a 15 dollar kit and then you, you throw some glue on them, stick them in their bases, and then you start playing. That is insanely expensive. That's like cheaper than a board game to get into Kill Team. Now, I'm not saying it's the perfect option. You do have to share the rule book and all that stuff. But like if you, if you and a friend are like, I really want to get into Kill Team, but I don't want to spend a lot of money. I just want to see what it's like. Go to the store and see if you can find someone that will let you borrow the book. You can probably, you know get your own copy at the local store for cheap well if you split it for me that's cheap um but like i was saying you know split the cost of the rule book buy your own 15 dollars kit play a couple games if you like it buy a regular box of models and keep building that kill team if you don't like it i'm sure someone will be willing to buy it off of you you might take a loss and you know you might have to sell it and you lose a couple dollars but someone will probably buy your models and someone will probably buy your rule book so you're not like wasting your money and you can't resell it to somebody else on eBay or something. But the point I'm trying to get at is a lot of people are asking, how budget friendly is Kill Team? It's as budget friendly as you want it to be. Like I said, if you've got a friend that has the rule book, you don't even have to buy the rules. You can just drop 15 bucks on a kit, play with your friend. Just tell your friend, hey, I, I bought this kit of Plague Marines. There's only three of them. Uh, it comes out to like, I don't know, 45, 50 points. How about you build a 50-point kill team and let's let's play a match? Okay, sure. That sounds great. Like I'm I'm super excited to talk about this because this is one of the few opportunities where pretty much any player has the opportunity to play kill team. I have no problem letting a friend of mine borrow this rule book for a weekend 
if they say, I want to play it. Okay, sure. Borrow, borrow the rule book. Give it back to me when you're done. Go buy yourself, you know, a $15 kit. Go, go buy some orcs, 30 bucks. Okay, well, they say, I want to play a full army. You know, I just want to buy a single box. Okay, and I'll tell them exactly what I found online. Harlequins, Grey Knights, um, you know, Death Guard. You could argue regular Space Marines. Like, you could just buy a box of regular old Space Marines. They should be fine. Like, there's so many ways for people to play Kill Team, and it's not cost prohibitive. It might be competitive prohibitive. I'm, I'm going to say that right out of the gate every single time. You you can't win a... Well, I'm not going to say you can't win a tournament with three models, but I will say it's probably excessively difficult to do it. If someone does that, I will be very impressed, and you're either really lucky or really good, or I don't know, like, the odds are not ever in your favor. I'll just say it like that. But if you just want to play the game and get your feet wet, 15 bucks is not prohibitive. It's really, really not. If you want a full-blown kill team, I think Death Guard are great. That's why I got them. They've got a lot of options I like. They've got a lot of tactics I like. They're tough. They're The models are fantastic. I mean, there's, there's so many things that make kill team very, very, very exciting for me. But... One of the biggest things is accessibility because there's way too many games out there that are amazing and the game design is amazing and the branding is amazing and the play is amazing and it's just not accessible. It's too expensive, it's hard to find, it's too complicated, so many factors. There's so many things that can go wrong with a great game and the player is either alienated or uninterested or just unable to play it. It's, it's very simple for those factors to come into play with any game. And Kill Team is not perfect by any means. But I think Kill Team has a lot of really strong opportunities for any level of player to at least get their feet wet. A $15 kit versus a $15 kit is not going to be the full-blown super experience of you know 20 Guardsmen versus you know 15 Tyranids. But it's going to be a really good experience for a brand new player to build their first model, to feel that first model, to roll dice, to see if they take you know the flesh wounds, to see if they pass their nerve test, to create a leader and two specialists, to do all kinds of fun things with just three models out of a $15 box. Real simple. It's not complicated, it's not hard, it doesn't require, you know, modeling skills, it requires 15 bucks and a little bit of glue. But from that point, if the player loves it, they can dive deeper and meet new players and learn how to paint and learn how to model and learn how to get more models and more army stuff and more rules and more specialists and create a roster and so on and so forth. If they don't, that's fine. You don't you don't feel bad if you spent $15 and you didn't enjoy yourself. We spend way more than that going to a movie, buying popcorn and a drink, and then we walk out going, mm, that movie was okay, it wasn't that great. But you don't really regret spending that money, and I don't personally think you would regret spending money on some really fantastic-looking models that you can sell back to your friends or on eBay. Like, you can't do that with a movie. You can't go and 
take the movie out of your head and sell it to your friend and go, well, I didn't enjoy this. Here, you can have it for, you know, 30%, 50% off. I, I'm, I'm never going to watch this movie again. You can't do that. With the models, you can resell them or trade them or, you know, you can even keep them. Like, there's, there's things you can do with the models that you can't do with other experiences that you pay as much for. Um, and I think that's a really good thing for Kill Team is you can get into it as deep as you want for almost as much as you want. I don't feel like $15 US is extremely prohibitive for anyone in particular. And I think that's great. And as we go through the next shows and as we move through Kill Team, you know, I said my first army is going to be Space Wolves. I, I guess I was wrong. My first Kill Team team is going to be Plague Marines. And, you know, I'm really excited because I don't know much about them. I never played them. I'm starting to read up on their history. I'm starting to read up on what they're supposed to do. I'm starting to read up on all these different things because I, I never knew anything about Plague Marines. And it's really neat because I, I don't need any more. Like, of course, as a collector, I want to buy the $15 box of Poxwalkers so I have some more options and things to paint. But in, in all grandiose honesty, like, I bought the rule book for 40, I bought the Plague Marines for 50, and that's it. Like, I'm, I'm logically done. Finished. I don't need more. I can play a full kill team. I've got all the points I need. I'm ready to go. And so if you're listening and you're like, well, what's the, what's the budget army? How does this work? Is it competitive? Is it viable? Yeah. I think, in all sincerity... You could buy Grey Knights, you could buy Harlequins, you could buy Plague Marines, and the rulebook, and have not only a budget-friendly army, but a competitive one at that. And with tax, we'll just say it's, it's a flat hundred. You can have a competitive army with rulebooks, hundred bucks. Now, is it going to be the meta-competitive, super-defining? I, I don't know. We don't know what the best army is right now, but... Can you compete? Yes. Do you have all that you need? Yes. Do you have the rule book? Yes. How much did it cost you? We'll just say a flat hundred. Because tax. If you already have a friend that has the rule book, it's even cheaper. And that's the cool thing about this game is you can go in with multiple friends on a single rule book. You know, you can just, you can do whatever you want. <laughs> That's the coolest thing. You can do whatever you want. And allowing players to have that level of control is great for any game. So that's pretty much the end of episode three. We've still got a lot of stuff coming down the pipeline. I'm really excited to talk more about Kill Team. So my name is Sugi. This has been Squad Tactica. If you're listening and you really enjoy it, do me a couple favors. Check out the Facebook group, Warhammer 40k Kill Team, period. Once again, I know it sounds weird, but that's the defining factor because there's like kill team, kill teams, kill dash team, kill dash teams, fans. Like there's there's a there's a lot of different 40k groups on Facebook. The the link will absolutely be in the show notes. I want to make it super easy to find this group. Like I said, everyone's really nice. The moderators are great. It's it's a lot of fun, but they also don't put up with people who are just you know rude and mean and, and unnecessarily, you know, inconsiderate to everyone else. It's a very friendly group, and I highly recommend 
coming and hanging out. There's a lot of people you can pull from if you have questions, ideas, you want to know about painting, you want to know about games, models, you know, rules. We got it covered. And if you're enjoying this show, Squad Tactica, please check out the Facebook group. Liking the page is free. It takes like three seconds, if that, to click the like button. It helps grow the show. It helps grow the game. And I would really appreciate it. I mean, you know, I could be asking for money or trying to sell you a product or whatever, but I would rather just have all my friends who are listening just click the like button and, you know, we can talk on Facebook. So, once again, my name is Sugi. This is Squad Tactica. It has been a pleasure talking about Kill Team as always. So, thank you so much for listening and we'll see you next time.